Thank you, Sean Greeson, I think. Um, we are so blessed as a church to, to be around incredible people. And Sean and Greta Greeson are two of those incredible people. You, you never know all that they do to touch people's lives day in and day out. And um, not just local, but around the world. But Sean, we love you and so grateful for your leadership here at our church. You help us in so many ways. Shout out to the middle school. You should have seen those guys working yesterday. It was wonderful. Um, before you open your Bibles... We need to do something. Hopefully we do it anyway, but I don't take a lot for granted anymore in life. And so before we look at Psalm 73, it's always important to ask the Lord, Lord, would you speak to me? Not just collectively as a body, but individually as a person. God, would you speak to me? Because whenever God speaks to you, you know what your next step is. I know sometimes the next step is stay there on your knees and wait, but you at least know that that's what God is saying. And so often when we come before the word of God, you know, we just wait for the speaker, for the preacher, for the leader to sock it to us. And sometimes the problem in that is that we haven't said to the king, Lord, I, I need to hear from the king on the throne, not just the man on the stage. And God, as I, as I stand before you and as I open your word, I want to hear what the king of glory who is in this place has to say to moi. That is Southern Chatham County for me. God, I want to know what you have to say to me. And since God is in this room, um, he's going to speak to us, but it's important for us to ask. So before you open your Bibles, would you just say in your own words, would you say to him, Lord, would you speak to me? Bow your heads if you would. Speak to the king. Our father, we pray that as we open your holy, true, eternal, faithful, guiding book. Lord, that you would speak to us individually. We trust you. We, we believe you. We follow you. We, we love you. And we love your word because it comes from your heart. And so we ask that as we read your words to us, this letter, your letter to us, that you would speak to our lives individually and collectively. And Lord, whatever, whatever you say to us today, that's what we're going to do. Because that's what we do. Because that's who we are. We trust you with our lives. God, we, we have trusted you with our forever. So God, surely we can trust you with our now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You asked him to speak to you, didn't you? Yeah. I know that's sometimes scary because usually he does. Barry, um, Barry Crabtree is, is a friend of ours from Tennessee. He was a unique, a unique individual. He was, a, he was a great guy. Had a hard life, but a great guy. He'd walk on his feet of faith. Uh, when Barry was just a toddler, he was out playing in the driveway, his dad didn't know he was playing in the driveway, so dad got ready to 
head to work, got in his pickup truck, backed up, ran over the dog. Thought, well, I've been crippled the dog. I might as well make sure that I kill him. Pulled forward, ran over his dog again, got out, looked under his truck. It wasn't his dog. It was Barry. Barry, his whole life, he, he walked crippled. He walked broken. He had his steel um, crutches and he would swing his body. You know, he would swing his feet. He, he would live his faith. He, he had hard days. He had dark days. He had good days. He would stand before the people of God and sing the praises of God. He would, he would live life. Sometimes he would struggle. We would pray. We would laugh. We would cry. He would praise. Sometimes he would complain. He was just a normal human being. And he taught me a lot about life, about um, standing in faith when life is so unfair. And, and this morning we arrive at, arrive at Psalm 73. It's, it's, really a, um, it, it's really an anchor pastor. You know, Pastor Brian talks a lot about anchor passages. Well, this, this, this is one for everybody. I'll tell you my particular verse when, I, when we get to it in just a moment. But it's one of those passages that helps you navigate life. It helps you navigate the good and the bad and the storms and the blue skies. It, it helps you to navigate all of it. When the grass is clear and green, when it's deep and covered with snow. One of the students you saw on that picture, Justin, he was just recently, right after Christmas, one of our middle school students, he was up in Minnesota visiting some extended family. He stayed up there for almost a month. And he told us yesterday on the trip, he said, we were up there and he said, it snowed four feet in a week. In a week, sometimes life is like that. You know, sometimes it's a gentle, just beautiful snow. Sometimes it is a blizzard. Asaph, he found himself in a blizzard. Um, Asaph is one of the guys that wrote parts of the Bible. He, when you read Psalms, which is, it is a book for living. When you read Psalms, you know, David wrote some of it. Moses wrote some of it. Asaph, A-S-A-P-H, he wrote some of it, about 12 chapters and in this particular chapter, what Asaph is doing is he's, he's made his way to this point in life and he's looking back. He's not just looking back on others, he's looking back on himself, which is a brilliant thing to do. Wherever you are in life, look back at where God has brought you from, where God has brought you to, what God has said to you along the way, what lessons you have learned, what I have learned, the truths that hold us up, the faith that builds us up, the lies that breaks us down, identifying the good and the bad, reflecting. It is a wise person who does that. And you are wise people, aren't you? Say this after me, I'm wise. Look at the person next to you and say, you're beautiful and wise. We're going to come back to that. But Asaph is looking back on his life, on his not too distant life. And as he looks back on his life, he's reflecting. He's reflecting on a particular journey that he has taken. It wasn't pretty. He wasn't proud of it. But thank God, God said, Asaph, put this down, write this down, write this down. And we have this anchor passage in Psalm chapter 73. And here's what it says. The New American Standard says it this way. Psalm 73 verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel. Indeed, God is good to Israel. To the pure in heart 
Surely God is good to those people who follow him, who love him, to those who have a pure heart, who walk in integrity, who live with character, who seek to live by the precepts of this book, who seek to follow after the king without reservation, who seek to get it right more than they get it wrong, who want to do good rather than just... Surely God is good to Israel. To those people who are pure in heart. Verse 2, but as for me... But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My, my steps nearly went astray. He's being honest. He's talking about the goodness of God and how great God is. And he says, but I'm looking back on my life. And let me tell you about a time in my life that my, my feet almost slipped. My steps almost went astray. He says, let me tell you where I messed up. Now, we have just said, Lord, would you speak to me about my life? And, and what God will do in this place, he always does it. The Holy Spirit will say multiple things. He'll probably say at least 20 things in here today. He's already said a bunch of stuff in here today. But in Psalm 73, he's going to mention many things to us. He'll mention some things that aren't even verbally spoken. But here's what I would like to ask you to do. Would you write down three or four of those things you hear God say to you? Just three or four. I know he might say 20, but at least write down three or four. We're going to come back to that. But you write down what you hear God saying. He says, I almost slipped. I almost messed it up. I almost went astray. My steps. And he tells us why. He tells us why. For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have an easy time until they die. Their bodies are well fed. They're, they're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. Pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes bulge out from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run wild. They mock. They speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten oppression. They have set their mouths against heaven. Shake your fist in the face of God. God, I'm going to live like I want. I'm going to do what I want. This is my life, which is not right, by the way. We belong to him. But anyway, they set their mouths against heaven. Their tongues strut across the earth. You see what Asaph is telling us. I'm looking back on my life and I went through a really hard time. And, and one of the things that got me in trouble was... I took my eyes off of my king and I started watching people. I watched how good they have it. And right now in my life, he says, I watched how not so good I had it. I took my eyes off the king. And there's a couple of things in particular that he did, um, which is a warning to us today. If we're, if, if we're wise, he did, he did two things. Same mistakes that we make. People haven't changed in thousands. We make the same mistake. One of the mistakes we make in life, maybe you don't make them. I've made them. Asaph made them. Here's what he did. I started comparing myself to them. I started comparing what I had to what they had. I started comparing what I knew to what they knew. I started comparing my life to their lives and in the Bible, God says, don't do that. 
don't you keep your eyes on people. Don't you watch what culture dictates. Don't you get so caught up in how other people have it and maybe how you don't have it in some ways. And one of the things that's killing us in our culture is we have believers today and we, we, if we're not careful, we will live by what culture says. We will compare ourselves to culture. And God says, don't, don't you compare your, don't you get your cues from culture. You get your cues from Christ. Don't you get your cues from society. You get your cues from the Savior. And when you start comparing yourselves to other people, especially people who aren't chasing your king, you run off in a ditch. You do it, you do it every time. He says, I started comparing myself to other people, myself to other people. I started looking at the culture and how people had it around me and how they were so different than I am. And, and what we do as followers of Christ, our life is about commitment. Our life is not about following culture and our life is not about comparing ourselves to other people and what they don't have and what we don't have and, and, and how seemingly they have it at ease in Zion to take a word from scripture. That's what he was doing. He was comparing. And he found himself in a bad, in a bad, in a dark, dark place. Look at verse 11. They say, they, the people who don't follow God, they say, how can God know? Meaning, God's not paying attention to me. I can live life like I want to live life. How can God know? Does the, does the Most High know everything? Well, you know the answer to that. Does the Most High know everything? Has it ever occurred to you that nothing ever occurs to Him? And, and, but the wicked are going, well, does, does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They're always at ease and they increase in their wealth. And what has happened to him in his life had brought him to a place of despair and discouragement. And he's now down in his faith and he's, he's, he's at odds within himself and he's comparing himself to others and culture is dictating to him what he ought to think and what he ought to be and what he ought to do. He's in a bad place. And what has happened to him it's messed him up on the inside. Might I add this because it's found in this scripture and other scriptures. Um, what has happened to me is not what defines me. What has happened to you in your life is not what defines you. Who has happened to me is what defines me. And who, capital W, who has happened to you is what is who defines you. I'm not defined by the stuff that life has slapped me in the face with. I am defined by the king of glory who lives in me, who sits on his throne, who one day is going to come take me to where he is. And until that time, he's going to walk beside me every second of every day that ends in why. There is not a time in life that God is not going to walk alongside of you and hold you and love you and provide for you and give you mercy and give you grace and give you love and give you everything you could possibly need in this life. What has happened to you does not define you. Who has happened to you is what defines you. Asaph is being really honest. He's being transparent. He's saying stuff that makes some of us uncomfortable. And if we're honest, we've been there. 
And if we're honest, some of us are there now. Oh, come on. You know you're guilty. We're all guilty. We get our eyes off the king. We look at culture. We compare ourselves to others. Mm. We take our we take our views and our beliefs from this system of this world and we try to fit in and blend in. And I mean, I'm thinking somewhere in here it says, don't be conformed to that, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you might prove what is perfect. I'm just thinking it's in here somewhere. Maybe, I don't know. Romans 12, maybe, maybe. About verse one or two. Um, quit mumbling, Mike. All right. So, so if there was a place that you might want to underline or circle or maybe make a note on, well, verse 13 might be one of those places. Because he gets real honest and here's, here's what he says. He says, did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? Have you done that? You ever been there? God, I have served you faithfully. I have fought this fight as good as I know how to fight it. I, I have loved people and I have I served your people and I, I pray and I, I, I minister and I, I read your word and, and God, I try to do what is right and, and I try to live a life of integrity and character and I try to raise my family right and, and Lord, I, I, I love you. So what's all this? I'm the only one who's ever struggled with that, right? God, did I do all this for nothing? I mean, look at how good they've got it. And Lord, what's this? Did I purify my heart and wash my hands in innocence for nothing? For I'm afflicted all day long and punished every, every morning. He's being honest. He's telling us the struggle that he's having, the same struggle that we have. That, that we have. Sometimes you get up in the morning and sometimes you don't even get out of bed. It hits you in the middle of the night. You ask this question. Is following God really worth it? Is it worth it? Re-ask the question. Don't ask, is it worth it? If you're going to ask the question, why don't you ask it this way? Is he worth it? I don't know what it is. I know who he is. And sometimes when I ask the question, is it worth it? It gets all nebulous. It gets foggy in my mind because I'm not sure what it is. Is it worth it? But whenever I ask the question, is he worth it? I know what that answer is. He's proven himself time and time again. He don't have to prove anything else to me. I, I know him and I love him and I'll serve him and I'll die serving him. And then one day it'll get better forever. I mean, it's pretty good here, but it's not compared to anything to what's up there. Is he worth it? Well, sure he's worth it. But Asaph is struggling. Did, did I do all this? Did I do all this for nothing? And then he, he states a huge truth in verse, verses um, 13 and 14 after he asked, did I purify my heart and wash my hands in instance for nothing? In verse 14, this would also be one of those verses you might want to circle, you might want to underline. Because wow, does he teach us the truth right here. Listen to this. You almost don't even have to explain it. Verse 15. I said verse 14, verse 15. If I had decided to say these things aloud, meaning if I had decided to say out loud in front of God and everybody, the storm 
and the lies and the bitterness and the hurt that at that moment in time I was feeling. Here we say, if I had it, if I had decided to say this out loud, he said, I would have betrayed a generation of the children. You ever said something you wish you had never said? You know, that lie about sticks and stones will break my bones, but words can't ever hurt me. That is a lie from hell. Words can mess you up. My words, your words can fracture another person's faith. My words, your words could, can leave somebody bruised and broken and bloody in a ditch. You can say stuff that builds them up or you can say, say stuff that busts them up. And, and when you say things that build people up, when you say words of faith and encouragement, when you speak biblical truth, well, that helps people. You know, like Ephesians says, only let come out of your mouth what is edifying, what builds, what encourages. You know, don't let stuff come out of your mouth that tears people down. When you say things that help people, like, like for instance, you did it just a moment ago. Look at somebody beside you and say, I just love you. Even if you don't know them, tell them, say, I just love you. Uh, try, try this. You're beautiful to me and I'm so glad you're here today. Try that. All right, so, so now, so now, um, you're smiling a lot and you're happy and, and whatever that person said to you, I see a couple of your faces. A couple of you were mean to somebody. I saw, what, I saw your face. But, but for most of you, 99% of you, 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 you did what I asked and what you said was encouraging and it blessed people. And all of a sudden in the room, the energy just rose and all of a sudden, whatever that kind of sweet thing was that you said, it, it just lifted people's spirits. But if you looked at them and said, what's wrong with you? <laughs> or, or I know you can't help looking like that, but. <laughs> or what some of you say to people, boy, if Moses had met you, there'd have been another 11th commandment. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes you say stuff and sometimes I say stuff and it can, it can fracture people. It can break them down. It can hurt them. And sometimes, usually what happens is it's, it's when we're at our lowest. It's, it's when we've gone through stuff like what he's going through. And he recognized looking back on his life, on, on that part of his life, on his journey, not his whole life, just that journey. He recognized I almost opened my mouth and blew it. I wouldn't have just hurt one. I would have hurt a whole generation of people. I would have broken faith. I would have busted hope. I would have left people hurt. Just because I'm going through a hard time. I'm thinking just because I'm going through a hard time don't give me the right to bust you up. That would be in verse 15. If I decided to say these things aloud, I would have betrayed your people, that's what this translation, New American Standard says, I would have betrayed a generation of the children. And so he's looking back, he gets to verse 16 and he says, when I tried to understand this, this was this, all that stuff that he was trying to navigate, the waters he was trying to swim through, the fire that he was trying to walk through, the cloud that he was trying to see through. He said, when I, when I tried to understand all this, he tells us honestly, it seemed, it seemed, it seemed, say that word with me, seemed, 
hopeless. It seemed hopeless. It wasn't hopeless. It just seemed hopeless. It just seemed hopeless. I'm sitting in Hebrew class and Dr. Wayne Van Horn, the Hebrew professor, he's talking to us about the scriptures in Hebrew, which was the original language. That's what it was originally written in. And he told me something I didn't know. Of course, they told me a lot of stuff I didn't know. Um, Because when you take Hebrew, it's like going in a long, dark tunnel. And after about a year and a half, you start seeing the light. The first one's a train, but after about a year and a half. (laughs) And we got that verse um, that was quoted today. This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. That's, That's a great verse. It's even better in the Hebrew language. Because in the Hebrew language, here's what it says. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in Him. Changes everything when you substitute Him for it. So I don't say this is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Because I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's going to send. I don't know what it is going to do. But no matter what it does or what it sends, no matter what comes, this is the day the Lord has made and I'm going to rejoice and I'm going to be glad in Him. Because He don't ever change and He's always on His throne and He's never confused and, and He's never hopeless and He never gives up. He never gives up. And it's never impossible with Him. It's never. And it's never, it's never big with Him. God, I got this big problem. I got this big problem. So I'm going to give this big problem to you. To you. And then you give your big problem to him and then you look up at it and, and that thing you gave to him doesn't have the word big on it anymore. Because what's big to God? I mean, really, what, what's small to God? What's impossible with God? Nothing. When God enters impossible, all of a sudden, instead of being impossible, it's I'm possible. And that's what he's trying to say. And, and, and as he's working his way through it, he's trying to understand all this. There was this point that he says, it seemed hopeless. Been there, right? Oh, go ahead. Let's be honest. Raise your hand if you've been there. The rest of you lying through your teeth. Look around. Keep your hands up. In this room, we've been there. It seemed, it seemed There's a difference between seeming and what reality is. And when he gets to verse 17, he hits reality. If if you were going to underline and circle and highlight a verse, I'd do this one three times. Verse 17 is, is an anchor passage for me and for my family. When I tried to understand all this, verse 16 seemed hopeless. That's what Asaph said. Until verse, you get to verse 17. Until I entered the sanctuary of God. Did you see that? I was messed up. I was messed over. I was confused. I I didn't have understanding. I was bitter. I was hurting. I could not figure it out. I almost opened my mouth and messed it all up. And I I was in this state of hopelessness. And it made no sense to me until I came into the presence of God. If there were a lesson somewhere, it might be right there. There's a lot of things in life that make absolutely no sense to me until I come into the presence 
of God. Until I walk into the presence of God, until I, I come into the sanctuary. And of course, you know, yeah, this is a sanctuary, the big house, but a sanctuary doesn't have to be a church building. Your sanctuary could be your bathroom. It could be that, that chair that you kneel beside in your living room. It could be a walk out in the woods. It could be a walk in the park. It's anywhere where you are, where you were inviting and you were walking in the presence of God. And since he is everywhere and he wants to be with you everywhere, there really should never be a time that we're walking outside of the presence of God. That's another subject. But he said, I, 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 I didn't make sense of it all until I came into the sanctuary of God because the sanctuary because what I need is God what I what I like is answers but I don't always get answers I don't always get solutions I do get God and what I need is God. I don't always need the answers. I'd like to have them, but I don't always get them. But I always need God. I don't always get the solutions. I wish I always had the solutions. I always had the answers. I, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I wish I knew it all, but I don't know it all. I don't have to know it all. I'm not God. He is. Because what I need is God. What I need is God. Say this with me. What I need is God. Didn't make sense to me until I came into the sanctuary. But when I came into the sanctuary and I saw God, all of a sudden what I was looking back on at, at, at a royal mess, all of a sudden my perspective changed because of instead of seeing my mess, instead of trying to understand what was under not understandable to me, all of a sudden I looked into the face of God. And when you look into the face of God, all that other stuff just kind of vaporizes. Because compared to him, well, there's not a comparison to him. What God has been trying to teach me down through these years, the living of the days, he's trying to teach me this, Mike, when that stuff happens. The right question is not why. I almost, I don't get it perfectly right, but I almost never ask God why anymore. For a lot of reasons. One is because he said, Mike, the best question to ask me is not why. A better question is this, who? In the midst of that, why don't you ask who is standing alongside of you in this fire? Who is standing alongside of you in this situation? Who is standing alongside? And I go, you are. And all of a sudden, my perspective changes. It's like, Lord, I, I was trying to understand and fight that all on my own. So would you just go fight it for me? I've, no, I've just noticed in life when he fights my battles, it turns out a whole lot better with him when I try to flex up me and hit it with everything I've got. He just hits it with a little of what he got and, and what he's got. And it just, it just, Wow. So instead of asking why, God, why is this? Why, God, why? Uh, who? And the second thing he's taught me is this. Uh, also ask what? What is it that I am doing in the midst of this? And what is it that I'm going to do as a result of this that you don't now yet see, but you've trusted me with you forever? Why don't you just trust me with this right now? I got a one syllable response. 
All right. If you're from the north, that won't, that won't, but in the south, it means all right. In the south, we take four syllable words and we make them into one syllable word. And we take one syllable words and we make them into nine syllable words. <laughs> oh, but you need to know Southern English is the celestial language of heaven. Um, that's true. That's true. Because Paul, the apostle said, for I reckon. If, 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 if there's not a more Southern phrase than that. And listen, in the Bible, when we get to heaven, you know, we're going to come to that great day. And I know there's no night, but we're going to come to that great day. We're going to have the marriage supper of the lamb. It doesn't say the marriage dinner of the lamb. It says the marriage supper of the lamb. I'm telling you, Southern English draw is the celestial language of heaven. Just saying. I don't know where I went with that, but it didn't make any sense to me until I, I came into the presence of God and I saw him for who he is. And I'm standing before the ancient of days. I'm standing alongside the eternal. I'm standing alongside the lion and the lamb. I'm standing alongside the Redeemer and the Savior and the Sustainer. I'm standing alongside the power of the Almighty. I'm standing alongside the one who just said, let there be light. And there was. I'm, uh, it didn't make sense to me until I came into the sanctuary of God. I have heroes they never knew that they were my heroes. Matter of fact, a couple of them are in heaven right now. And uh, I don't even think they knew who I was, but I watched them. I, I, I watched them. Uh, some of you knew them. Uh, Mr. and Miss Parton from Silas City. I was growing up and I'd watch them. He, he's, he's the one who didn't have arms and she was blind. And, and they were people of faith. And they just, they, I, I could tell you so many things about them, but... But uh, one of the things I want to tell you about them, their son, Ben, it's been so long, I think it was Ben. Um, ben was like Barry. Mr. Parton got up one morning to go to work and backed up and ran over Ben. Miss Parton, as I, as I remember the story, she was standing at the kitchen table, I mean, the, the kitchen sink, looking out the window, was screaming her head off and saw her husband back over her boy. He survived. He survived. But that was traumatic. And, and, Later on, you know, years ago, there was no such thing in the country as safety. It didn't exist. Later on, Ben's working with his dad and, and uh, Mr. Parton, um, who was electrician, a lineman, he did all, all that stuff. And he saw that Ben was getting ready to touch something that was probably going to kill him. As I remember, it was 600 volts and Mr. Parton pushed Ben out of the way and, and Mr. Parton got the electricity and that's why they had took his arms off, both of his arms. Electricity went in, went blew and lost his arm. And, and I watched them and I watched them through life. I, I watched them live their faith. I, I watched them smile. I watched them interact with people and, and I watched people of faith who were handed some really hard stuff. And I go, you are my hero. People of faith, all this stuff's gone wrong. Smiling, loving Jesus, serving God, serving people in the community, not complaining. When, when you live in the presence of God, it changes your perspective on the present. 
It changes your perspective on the past. It changes your perspective on the future. If you just go through life doing the best you can, I say heaven help you, but if you're just trying to do the best you can, you're keeping heaven from doing what heaven wants to do. He said, he said, I, I didn't understand it until I came into the sanctuary of God. Look, look at verse 18. Indeed, you put them in slippery places. You make them fall into ruin. And, and he talks a little bit about the people that at one time he envied, the people that one time he wanted to be like. He wanted to have what they had. He wanted to be like who they were. But God began to, to clarify his focus and he saw the desperation that they were headed toward. And in verse 21, again, that honest statement, when I became embittered, bitter, when I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, bitterness will mess us up, won't it? Bitterness will break you down. It'll break other people down. He said, when I became embittered and my innermost being was wounded, I was a fool and didn't understand. I was like an unthinking animal toward you. Bitter, wounded in my inner man. I was a fool and didn't understand. I was an unthinking animal toward you. All of us go through these periods in life where we're, we're almost paralyzed by stinking thinking, where stuff gets on us and, and stuff gets in us. And we look back and we go, what, in the, what was I thinking? Baby, I'm so sorry that I said that. I don't even remember saying that. Oh, you said that. <laughs> you foolish animal. Where'd you get foolish animal? Right there in verse 22. I was a fool. I was an unthinking animal. Notice this. Toward you. I didn't just mess up with people. God, I messed up with you. I wasn't, I wasn't thinking clearly. Because I wasn't walking in your presence. Everything comes clear when you get in his presence. Verse 23. Yet I'm always with you. I'm always with you and you hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. This is beautiful. And afterwards, you'll take me up in glory. You mean, God, you're going to walk with me through the living of the days all the way down here. You're going to be with me in every joy and in every pain and every glory and every sorrow. You're going, to, you're going to provide for every need that I've got and needs that I don't even know I have. And, and, and you're going to walk with me and you're going to provide for me and you're going to love me and have mercy and grace on me. You're going to walk with me through the valley, through the valley of the shadow, shadow, shadow of death. And then you're going to take me to glory. You, you, you're going to do that. And he says, no, I'm not going to do that. I just, I just put it in the Bible so you would think it. God doesn't do that. And I, and afterwards you will take me up in glory. Whom do I have in heaven besides you? Whom do I have in heaven besides? And I desire nothing on earth but you. Big difference between the first part of that chapter and the right now, isn't it? 
Lord, at one point I wanted all that. I wanted to be all that. I was comparing myself and I was, I was locked up internally and spiritually and I was all busted up. And now I'm realizing I don't really have anybody in heaven but you. I don't really need anybody in heaven but you. And, and, and afterwards you'll guide me with your counsel. You'll take me up in glory. I desire nothing on earth but you. But you. Look at verse 26. My, my flesh and my heart may fail. Boy, is that the truth? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion at least as long as this week lasts. Is that what that says? God will be the strength of my heart and he will be my portion, meaning he will be everything that I need for how long? Forever. That's what it says. All of a sudden, Asaph, his whole perspective on life has changed. He's coming to the presence of God. And, and he says, those far from you will certainly perish. Now the tear starts going down his cheek because he's feeling what's awaiting them who are far from God. Those far from you will certainly perish. You, you destroy all who are unfaithful to you, which means they choose it. They choose it. Hmm. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, as for me, as for me, there's another guy back in the Old Testament that used that little phrase, as for me. Right after the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, that book of Joshua, toward the end of Joshua, like toward the very end of Joshua, that same guy used that same phrase. Joshua chapter 24. Do you remember what he said? But as for me, as for me and who? In my house, we will do what? We will serve the Lord. For how long? Yeah, we're, we're going to serve him as long as we have breath, as long as we have life. We're going to serve him and we're going to walk by faith and we're going to stand in integrity. And, and no, we don't always get it perfect all the time. That's not what this is about. But as for me, as for me, and I'm one of those in that, in that phrase, me, I'm going to. I'm not going to bow out. I'm not going to quit. You're not going to quit, are you? I mean, What's back here? Wow, some of us have been back here. It didn't turn out too good. But as for me, God's presence is my good. God's presence is my good. Church is not always what God's got in his hand. Sometimes it's what's in his heart. It's not always what he can do for us. Sometimes it's just who he is. But as for me, God's presence is my good. I, I've, I've made the Lord God my refuge. Now get this. Earlier in the chapter, he's getting ready to open his mouth and mess all kinds of people up. At the end of the chapter, he says, so I can tell people all about you. God, I'm going to tell people about who you are. I'm going to tell people about what you've done. I'm going to tell people about this journey that you've walked me through. God, I'm going to tell them. I'm not just going to live my faith. I'm going to lip my faith. I'm not just going to shine in the dark. I'm going to speak in the dark. God, I'm going to tell people. I'm going to tell it. I'm going to tell it. I'm going to tell it. Who are you going to tell this week? It's not just about living our faith out loud. It's about lipping our faith and, 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 and sharing our faith. And he goes from this place of being so discouraged and so oh, to a place where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the good things that God has done for me.
I know today God said dozens of things. I ask you if, you would, if you'd be kind enough to write down at least four. Some of you did that. Others of you, you can't leave the room. You've got to stay in here when the rest of them leave and go eat. And, and we've got to talk about some other stuff. But, but you wrote some things down, all right? You, whether you wrote them down in your head or you, or you put them on a piece of paper. Now I want you to look at that list, either mentally look at that list, what God has said to you today, or look down at what you've written down. And here's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to take one of those things that you've heard God said, and today, nail it in faith to the ground. God, as a result of what you have said to me today, this is not just who I'm, this is not just what I'm going to do. This is who I'm going to be. Until the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. And I will see you face to face on that other shore at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So look at your list. Choose one of the four. Would you pray with me? Father, in this place today, we, we rejoice in who you are and who you have always been. Not just what you have done, but what you're doing and what you're going to do. We rejoice in the greatness of our God who is, who is unchangeable, who is perfect, doesn't need to get any better. You're as good as it gets and beyond. And yet you walk alongside of us broken, frail sheep. And you love us and you guide us and you carry us and you inspire us and you empower us. And Lord, today I, I pray that you would help every person in this room, every student, every child, every adult, to take that thing that you have said to us today, not just do it, but be it. To own our faith, to live our faith, share our faith. I know one day when we get to heaven, Jesus, we're, we're not even going to be asking you, God, would you please explain to me why that terrible thing? It's not going to be like that at all. God, I pray you would teach us in these days to walk alongside of a faithful God in the glory and in the fire in the good and in the bad, in days when we're strong and in days when we're weak. And we trust you. And Father, as for me, as for us, we choose, we choose to live in the presence of an able God and an incredible Savior and a present Spirit who empowers and guides us in it and through it alongside of us. Father, may your blessing rest upon us as we leave this place. May your blessing shine through us as we interact with people. We praise you. Pray for our pastor this day. Pray for your people. And thank you for what you're going to do as a result of spending some time today in an ever true word of God. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.